0: As has already been said, welcome to any visitors we have as well as everybody else. Um, particularly want to welcome Brother Warren all the way from Sydney. So make sure we meet Warren afterwards. Okay. The title of my talk today is "Lord, help me to understand." I want to talk about maybe things don't always work out like we think they should and we have um, maybe the way i would put it we've put god in a certain box and all of a sudden god doesn't quite perform like we think he should and there once that happens we start to lose a little bit of confidence in god not that god did anything wrong it's just that we put him in a category that he wasn't quite in and uh, now and again, as we go through life, there are times when, um, maybe we feel like God has let us down or God's made a mistake. Um, I had to, um, have a situation once with my mother who had a, in those days, we called it a nervous breakdown and, uh, she ended up being quite, um, sort of in a bit of a bad way and, uh, she ended up being in a, in a nursing home, whatever you call it, here in Adelaide and, um. I was uh, what was known as a conveyance, a licensed land broker at the time, and I had appointments in the middle of the city at the land's title office, and I remember I had an appointment. I went and picked her up for a while and took her for a drive, and as I dropped her back, if anybody remembers my mother, she was, I don't know where I got it from, but she was a good talker, and um, it was a bit hard to get away from her, and I said, Look, Mum, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got an appointment. She said, oh, haven't you got anything sort of to leave with me? And I said, all right, I've got two points I want to make with you. And if you do these two points, I reckon we start to get a recovery going. She said, oh, what's that, dear? And uh, I said, um, number one, I want you to believe that God never, ever makes a mistake because if he makes a mistake, he is unreliable and we can't rely on him all. You've only got to make one mistake. And uh, because she'd started to think, oh, you know, God's let me down or what's wrong and all that. So I said, number one, you've got to believe that God never makes a mistake and that he is there to to help you. And she said after a while, oh, I think I can do that, dear. And she said, what's the other one? And I said, you go back in that nursing home and you start witnessing to the other people in there. And she said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I'm such a bad testimony and, and so on along that line. I said, you asked me back in there and start for those who remember my mother she loved witnessing and she had stopped witnessing and uh, i mean i went and saw her a while later and didn't look all that different then she started telling me about somebody she witnessed to and you see the light starting to come back on again but that's actually not the main thing thrust of my talk the first point was the main one and that was that god never makes a mistake let's have a look at god Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. Well known scripture, and I think most of my scriptures are today. Numbers um, 23. Some of the words of Balaam, but actually they were the words of God via Balaam. Just a well known verse, chapter 23, and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Most important part is the first few words. God is not a man. So we really get that clear in our mind. He doesn't think like us. We know the scripture in Isaiah. God's thoughts are far greater than our thoughts. God's ways are far greater than our ways. God is not he's like us in some ways but he is totally a different being if that's the right word god is god and we're but we try to put make god like us sometimes we want god to think like us so as i said we start putting this god in a certain box the way we think he should be let's have a look in malachi or malachi however you like to say it last book in the old testament And here we have another part of God. This part's a little hard to understand. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1, the burden of the the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, said the Lord, and yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness and so it goes i have hated esau is that the god that we worship a god that hates people you know a lot of people read the old testament and they said oh i don't understand the god of the old testament you know people got destroyed what about the flood what about solomon And, Gomorrah? and what about the amalekites and the canaanites and how do we fit all that that is the god of the old testament And that is still, in a sense, God, he doesn't do it quite that way anymore. But judgment has not vanished. There is such a thing as the judgment of God. But the New Testament emphasis is so much upon saving and helping and doing good by people. That is the emphasis. So let's have a look at it in contrast to that, to Luke chapter 9. What I'm doing here is I'm hoping to give you an understanding... That it's not good to put God in a complete box because God is greater than your box. And all, the, thank you, Pastor Laurie. What did you say? Amen. He said, "Amen." God is greater than we categorize Him. So here in Luke chapter nine, a time when there was a bit of trouble with some of the Samaritans, and we just pick it up there in verse fifty-one. And it came to pass that when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face and went in and led into a village of the Samaritans uh, to make um, uh, ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was though he would go to Jerusalem or to the Jews. And we know there was a great... Um, Difference, uh, hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. So when they thought he's going to do that, oh, we don't want to see him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And there was such a simple answer, they went to another village didn't need to wipe them out but sort of it almost does bring the difference between the old testament and the new testament it's not saying that one day there won't be a day of judgment there still will be but here we see the the emphasis here is that he wants to save people so what i'm doing here is just trying to say look god is maybe not just in the simple box of people oh god is love yeah god is love he's also a god of judgment You know, God is a God that, uh, you know, a couple of times, you know, he sort of said that in the Old Testament, basically, hey, can't I do what I want to do? I'm God, sort of thing. Oh, no, you, you must do what we think you should do. And that's sort of where I'm heading in my talk today, when now and again we've sort of got God in this particular box, we've prayed about something, and it hasn't worked out, as we think it should work out, and God's let us down and we go down that particular path and it's a no ender we just have really where we where we went wrong really is we hadn't got the full balance of what god is and what he can be just have a look in uh, back to the old testament to Isaiah chapter 29 and again just one verse i have had i remember somebody once said to me well, what would happen You know, if you had a terminal disease, you always hope you don't get one. But if you do, you know, would you still believe in God? I said, you bet I would. I'd rather go through that experience with God than without God. That's not the time to dump God. You know, that's the time when you, more than ever, you want to have the Lord with you. You know, Job is a great example, isn't he, of somebody who went through difficulty and everything crashed down. He hadn't done anything, and that was what the book's mainly about. He couldn't see where he'd gone wrong, and yet his children died, and he lost all his animals, lost his, his life, really. He ended up covered in boils, and it was a sad and sorry case. And his wife gave him some brilliant advice. If you remember that advice, his wife said, Look, um, just you know, give up on God. In actual fact, curse God and die. That's what you should do. And he called her a full, foolish woman. You don't know what you're saying. And even though Job went through some incredible experiences throughout the book of Job, trying to reason the whole thing out, and again, trying to understand God, that's what the book of Job's about. How did this happen and so on? Eventually gets it worked out, by the way. But we just see here that he felt that to give up on God on that time, and said in all that Job did, in all his questioning, he never actually cursed God And he never actually turned against God. He just wanted, as my my heading of my talk is today, help me to understand. Help me to understand what I'm going through and why I'm going through it and how it could happen was really the message. So here in uh, Isaiah 29 and verse 16, it says, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed, of him that framed it, he had no understanding? But we also sort of get that way a little bit. God, you, you know, you, surely you should to see where, what's happening right here and now. And how come you haven't done it right uh, as, as I think you should have done it? You know, there's um, uh, a scripture, just not well sure I've got it, I'll wait for that one. I might have it written down. Let's have a look at Second Samuel in chapter 6 interesting little story here. King David, he really did have a hard life. He had in many, many ways a very blessed life, but he also, Second Samuel, and we know that for maybe approximately 13 years of his life, he had to live on the run. We don't know the exact age of David when he took on Goliath, but he sort of painted the picture of being a teenager, maybe around the age of 17 is a bit of a guess and um he didn't become king of first of all just one tribe the tribe of judah until he was 30 years old and saul had now had died but for 13 years he was in the wilderness and when you read through the psalms they're like what i'm talking about today where where david is trying to work out god god where are you things are not good you know, help me. This is happening. My enemies are trying to wipe me out. And you read psalm after psalm where David is going through that sort of process. I tell you what, by the end of each psalm, he always comes back and says, no, the Lord's got the answer. I'm, I might not quite understand what's happening, but I'm not going to turn against God. And I don't think that God has left me uh, alone at this point. But one little incident he had here in chapter 6 of Second um, Samuel um And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. There was in Gibeah and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanied the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instrument made of fir wood even as on harps and of psalteries and thimbles and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to uh, Naon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark and he took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Maybe it was about to slide off the ark. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him for there, there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of it the place Perazaz or the breach of Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to And Go and read the story later. You may actually know it anyhow. I look up that word displeased, which is sort of, you know, okay, somebody's a bit displeased about something. Hasn't got a lot, quite a lot of impact in our English language. If you look it up in the concordance, it means he burned with anger. That's what he did. He burned with anger. He believed that God had done something wrong. He even said this is the breach of us. God has breached the situation. Guess who had done the wrong thing? It was David that had done the wrong thing. David was the king. He should have been reading his Bible. He should have looked up the proper way to carry the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had four rings, one on each corner. It was like a box. And they ran two poles through each side, and it was carried on the shoulders of the priest. It was all there in the Bible, very clearly laid out in the book of Leviticus. It was all there. No, it wasn't God that let Uzzah down. It was David that let Uzzah down. If David wanted to get angry with somebody, he should have got angry with himself because Uzzah was looking to him as the king of Israel and he trusted David that he knew what he was doing. But David had got it wrong. I mean, he could have said, well, it wasn't just any old cart. It was a nice new cart. No, it's the wrong way to do it, David. You've done it the wrong way. So if you're, going to get ups, if you're going to get angry with anybody, get angry with yourself. And that really is maybe an overall point. Not that I necessarily want people to get angry, but maybe now and again we need to re-examine the situation. Maybe something's not working like we think we should. We think God's to blame. God's done something wrong. Maybe then we go and get a mirror and sit down and we look in the mirror. By the way, I never do that anymore. It's such a ghastly sight. But anyhow, you look in the mirror. And think, maybe, maybe there's something here that I haven't quite done or what I could do or could do better and we could go on and on and so on. And maybe get it clear in our mind, God has not done something wrong. We need to reassess the situation. Um, just have a look at some of the words of Job. I mentioned before how that he went through his life. The last few chapters of the book of Job, And he had all these guys who were advising him and their advice wasn't much good. But God really in the end sort of decided that Job should really understand things a little bit better than what he did. And finally then, we'll go to chapter 40 of the book of Job. It says, moreover the Lord answered Job and said, verse 1 of chapter 40, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? A bit like we read about the potter. He that reproved God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. And then the Lord uh, then answered the Lord unto Job out of a whirlwind and said, Get up thy loins now like a man, and I will demand of thee into cleaning. You can read the whole chapter. He starts to talk about really how great God is. The God of the universe. That's who we're dealing with here. You're Not just any Tom, Dick and Harry down the corner sort of thing. We're dealing with God here. We're talking the one who made the universe. And Job said he put his hand on his mouth and said, It's time I shut up. It's time I just waited to see and understand where things are going. And just there in chapter 42, we'll jump to that. Verse 1. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou... Canst do everything. There's a good conclusion to come to. Thou canst do everything, that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech, then I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me, have I, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And it goes on that he got his sort of life sorted out. It's, it's funny when you read the book because really in many ways, Job was a very righteous person. And that's where the problem comes in. Maybe that's where the problem comes in with us. But Lord, I'm baptized. I'm spirit-filled. Or we might be praying for somebody else. They're a good brother or sister in the Lord. How can this happen? We're sort of, we're using the righteous sort of uh, uh, thing to try and impress God. And God's saying, hang on a second, you need one thing with me and only one thing, and that's faith. And as we know how God, and that puzzles us sometimes, we, we, we see a brother or sister in the Lord maybe not getting the victory we think they should get and so on. And then some woman who's got a a hopeless husband who's rejected the Lord and and she prays for him and he gets healed. And you think, how did that happen? Heal that no-hoper. And yet the person we think should get healed doesn't get healed. And so it goes on. We sort of start saying it ought to be the way we think it it is. And really in the end, you know, we've just got to realise that God is going to do what God's going to do. Let's have a look in Matthew chapter 11. Going back to King David, just not looking at it, but just talking about King David for a moment. Um, he seemed to have an understanding of God that was maybe a little greater than most people did. He seemed to have a rapport, as we would say, and sort of got on the same wavelength at times. And when we have the story of he and Bathsheba, and they have a, a child... And it was the result, as we know, in plain words, of adultery. And not that Bathsheba did anything wrong. She didn't. It was it was David that had done the wrong thing. And as we know, the child that was born as a result of that ended up being like a death's door. And David went before the Lord and he fasted and he prayed. And in the end, the child died. And uh, he then got up and he washed and he had a shave and and his servants were sort of, oh, that's a bit rough, you know, while the child was dying, you did this, and now the die. He said, listen, hang on a second, the child's gone. Basically said, I can't do anything about that. I did the best I could. I entreated God, it just wasn't to be. He got up, he never turned against God. And that, there's a victory in that. There's an understanding, something maybe at times we look at it and think, oh, oh that would be it. I've, I've lost confidence in God. He let me down, or he's let that person down, and so on. So it's because we, as I said, put God in a box. He didn't perform the way we think he should. We might have been in the Lord for decades, didn't realize in the back of our mind a little bit, it was like, if this happens, I'm not going to follow God anymore. We didn't realize that, and that happened. I mean, the trial of our faith is something incredibly precious to God. And how often we have this hurdle that he puts in front of us. He wants to see whether we can go over the hurdle. I'm not talking about the Commonwealth Games at the moment. And uh, we see there that uh, he wants to see if we keep going under any circumstances, under any... And yet all the time, if we look back over our life, there's been so many fantastic blessings. We forget all of them because something's happened and we don't think God's performing quite like he should. Matthew chapter 11... A couple of fam- famous, that's a good word, well-known, verse, verse 28, verses, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Only in the book of Matthew, by the way. Fantastic little passage in the in the middle of our Bible. But it's just one little bit I want to grab hold of, And that is the one right in the middle there, uh, or the beginning of verse uh, 29, and learn of me. So this is what I'm thinking about and talking about today, is we need to learn God. We need to learn Jesus. You know, so many people just never really get the right Jesus. They never get the right God. We need to learn, and as you have your walk in the Lord, and you read scriptures, and maybe you go through experiences, you understand. Maybe like Job did, I think I'll just keep my mouth shut. There's more to God than I realize. It's more to my than my limited understanding and my limited judgment. God is far greater than that. But Jesus said here, "Learn of Me." You know, translations can really lead you up the garden path. We often talk about that. Maybe why we basic not that the king james is perfect but we mainly stick with the king james i looked at this verse in another translation and it said learn from me there is a vast difference to learn of me than there is to learn from me one's just sort of a bit of an example the other one is understanding the person understanding where they come from is a lot more and that's what jesus really did want you i i want you to to learn of me um, let's have a look at Luke chapter 10 maybe I'll start thinking a little more and nailing it down a little bit to more what I'm talking about and I suppose and that is um, divine healing divine healing can be good and maybe in some ways at times divine healing can be difficult because again we get a certain category of the way we think God should work and uh, again he maybe doesn't quite work that way um i remember once i got quite ill i was only about 33 at the time been under quite a lot of pressure it was the time my mother had the nervous breakdown by the way and I, was, I remember at the time when she went into the home i remember saying to ellen either she goes into the home or i go into the home and uh, it was she was difficult to live with at the and by the way she got, got totally healed She was only in her mid-60s and she died at the age of 84. And she really totally recovered as many people remember her. But I was going through a bit of a hard time myself and it was about a year later I had this quite chronic arthritis. Been to the doctor, ankles and knees and fingers were all swelling up and so on, less arthritis does. And memory gave me a diagnosis on it and, uh, which wasn't what I wanted to hear. And, um, I, um, he gave me some aspirin, a pretty powerful bottle of aspirin. And I said to him, will the aspirin cure the arthritis? And he said, no, all it'll do is relieve the pain. I never took any of the aspirin in the end, so I'll put up with the pain. But it still didn't get better. And it still didn't happen overnight, like often does happen, you know. And um, in the end, uh, it was down at Karakalinga, actually. We'd been away to the Northern Territory, taking our, put our kids on correspondence And uh, it was right between moving from Elizabeth to Adelaide. We'd filled the hall in Elizabeth, and Pastor John said, let's go back into Adelaide. And I didn't know quite where he was going to buy a hall or where we were going to buy a hall. And I remember saying to Helen, wherever the the next venue is, I want to live near it. I want to be right near to where where the action is. So while that was happening, um, Pastor, not Pastor, sorry, just demoted you or said what you really are. Where is he? He's gone. He's left me. He's there. Brian. Brian Coverdale. One of the spots that we looked at were some of the market gardens in Campbelltown. So you could have had the camp right around the corner from you. But we didn't get the camp there. I mean, we looked at an old railway. Although I'm talking about the camp there, aren't I? But I think that might have been a hall. I can't remember. a little more muddled up. So... I said, let's go down to camp. We just camp had just been bought. We got some work to do. We had the first shed up. There was a guy in the assembly, some of remember, his name was Potsy, and he was a concreter. And he was going to concrete the floor of the shed just over the bridge as you come into camp. And I was sort of his lackey. And we ended up living in the um, Second Bay, if you know Carrick, going up in a rented house for about three months while we bought this theatre. And... Um, I remember I was suffering quite badly at this time with the arthritis. And I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. It just happened to work for me on that occasion. I said to Helen, I'm going to act my faith. I don't know how good that faith was, about that big. I didn't have much faith. And maybe I'd been thinking, why, how come this is happening? I went down onto the beach and I decided I was going to, I was only young. I was only 32 or something. I was going to jog along the beach and helen said when she watched me she didn't know whether to, to cry or to laugh she said i looked like a, a a a duck with club feet and a broken wing my ankles did not my ankles didn't work so i'm sort of like this i didn't get healed straight away maybe it was just that i started to really think more along something i could do is the only way i can put it and within a short time i st- healed, I have no sign of arthritis at all, praise the Lord. That was only half my life to this date. So you don't always get it. That went on for a couple of years, by the way. You don't always get it when you think and so on. Um, Just here in Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, after these things the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that uh, he would uh, send forth laborers into his harvest. Go, go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. And then he goes through a great list of things. And then, of course, the well-known part in verse 17, and the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And then he said, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's a balance we need to get divine healing is part of our fellowship and hope and pray it always will be so we believe in a god of signs and wonders and miracles but if we're truly honest there are times when it doesn't always work we have brethren that die from a sickness is it do we condemn them for that no we don't not for one second that can be how life is sometimes that same person by the way maybe who did die from a sickness had had many miracles before that time, many wonderful miracles. So how do we categorise all this? I dare say that is life and we don't always exactly know how it's going to work out. You know, when the Lord gave the the story of the unjust judge and uh, how that uh, he didn't really want to help the woman and uh, he did it in the end because she was annoying him. But then he said, how much more should your heavenly father answer you speedily I have a contention there. It's so not often over contention with God. But I want to find out what he means by speedily. It's not always speedily in my opinion. Speedily to me is yesterday. But maybe speedily to God where a day is a thousand years to God, maybe it's not quite as speedily as we think. But as I said, there are times. But the important thing on the couple of examples I just gave is the brethren died in the Lord and all the people said that their salvation was in hand i don't know how important divine healing is in our walk of the Lord compared with salvation but i do feel that divine healing is like that and that salvation is like that but if we turn it around and we make divine healing the be all and end all of everything we can start jeopardizing our salvation because it didn't work out quite like we thought we prayed for somebody or this happened oh that's not working we'll give god up you got it all wrong the divine healing was the bonus when you have a salary you're not supposed to live on the bonus you're supposed to live on the salary and when you get the bonus whatever it is that's just an extra blessing and there are lots of divine healing and many others divine protection how many of us here today can look back and see uh, times when we should have died And we didn't. But maybe later on you do die. Maybe even in an accident. These things happen unfortunately. But overall the saints are mightily blessed and many wonderful healings. But you've got to keep it in the right balance and that's what this story is about. Keep it in the right balance. Yes, it is great that you have power over Satan. Yes, it is great that this happened. But above all, you must rejoice, number one, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Never jeopardize that. That is number one. That's the big miracle. Jesus came and he did divine healing. But when he talked about his ministry, he said, I came to save people. That's how he summed it up. I came to save people. That was my number one goal. So again, we've got to keep it in the right sort of... Uh, balance let's have a look in um in john chapter 6 to see if these 70 took his advice the number one was salvation we're going to see here that they didn't take his advice john chapter 6 it's the time when he talked about eating his body and drinking his blood which on face value was difficult to comprehend But maybe this is a good example that now and again there's something in the Bible you can't quite see it at the time. Seems ridiculous. God said something I don't understand. Maybe the one we read in in Malachi, I hated Esau. I can't comprehend that. I can't, uh, that's not the God that I, and so on. So God doesn't fit your box. But that is the God that we're dealing with. And here we just see here, the, the later on, when the disciples got saved, they came to fully understand what he was talking about. In a minute, we're going to take the, uh, the bread and we're going to take the cup to represent his broken body, to represent his shed blood. But actually, when we get baptized and spirit-filled, that's when we're partakers of his body and partakers of, partake of his blood and then later on we keep on remembering that but so the day of our salvation really is when all this happens that he was talking about but they didn't stop to find that out they didn't hang around long enough oh we can't we can't comprehend this they didn't even go to the lord and say could you explain that a little bit you know not quite sure what you're saying there are you really saying we've got to eat you are we really saying we've got to drink your blood is that what you're really saying I mean, they could have at least sort of, sort of tried to get an answer, but no, no, too difficult. Hit a brick wall, time out, let's go. And uh, it just says there in verse, um, John 6, verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can bear it? Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend up from where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth or giveth life, and the flesh profiteth nothing. Maybe if I dare to say it, the Spirit is eternal life, and the flesh is something like divine healing, keeping the old body alive for a while. One way or the other, the old body is going to die unless the Lord comes back. It's going to go into the grave. But the soul is the eternal part. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. And just down there in verse 66, and from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They didn't take his advice that we read there in Luke chapter 11. They just, he said, look, number one is your salvation. So, as I said, maybe there are times in your walk of the Lord, there certainly have been in my walk of the Lord, where I pretty well say, Lord, help me to understand. Not quite comprehending what's going on here, or why this has happened, or why that hasn't happened. I like the way Peter answered this whole same, uh, looked at this whole same situation there, in verse 67. And then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? You know, I just look at that, try to picture that day. First of all, there's a lot of them there. There's mostly the 70 plus or more. Um, There's the twelve. There's Jesus. Quite a crowd of them. And all of a sudden the vast majority of them go away and they just leave Jesus and the 12 apostles. Just them. That's all that's standing there. They can see the others disappearing into the, the blue yonder and they're standing there and they have no idea what he meant either. It's not that they had some special insight to drinking blood and eating flesh. They didn't. Had no idea. But what they had got to a point whereas the Lord's always right? And all the people said that even if I don't understand what he's saying, he's always right. They got beyond that moment, uh, that that hurdle. And uh, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But I do feel the way he started off was like, yeah, we could go, but where can we go? It's almost like he went through his mind. We ought to go, but, but where can we go? And you know, in your walk with the Lord, you've got to come to that point now and again. If something doesn't add up, something's not quite as you think it should be, you should, the old saying, tie a knot, hang on, the end of your rope, you're at the end of your tether, tie a knot and hang on. Because around the corner, you're going to understand it. Around the corner, you're going to see it all. It's all got to come together. And as so the Lord's just watching you. Will you still trust me? If you don't quite do what I think, you quite do what you think I should do. And um, that's what really Peter said. Look, at where there's nowhere to go, you're the only one. Let's have a look. There's more there, but let's go to Second Corinthians and chapter 11. Paul goes through a list of trials and tribulations that he had to suffer in, in preaching the gospel. And I'll say right here and now, I don't think there's anybody here today that has ever been through anything like what Paul went through. And maybe I hope that you never have to. But this guy he had the most incredible, difficult, if you could use that word, walk in the Lord. It was heavy going. We talk about David in the wilderness for 13 years. You know, Paul, pretty well his whole walk in the Lord from the day that he got saved. He was under fire. He was under pressure. And, um, you know, he goes through some of the things that, um, and grab any, any amount of things that he went through. Go to verse 24 or verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, are more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Uh, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. It goes on and on and on and on. It was in the sea for a whole twenty-four hours, and you just look at the whole list. Not any one of them would mostly knock me out. If you put one lash across my back. I'd be a screaming, dithering idiot. I don't like pain. I can't handle pain. But this guy, you know, he just took it all. and He never lost confidence. What about the night he and Silas were in prison? They had been beaten that night. I mean, they could have been saying to each other, oh, gosh, we've got to give this up. This is not a happy life. The Lord said, I have life and more abundantly, and this is a more abundant life. You could quote scriptures like that. (laughs) <laughs> but what did they do? They sang hymns. They rejoiced before the Lord that they were worthy of it. And we know there was a great revival that night where a whole family came to the Lord. The jailer and his family came to the Lord that night. Why? Because of their, their incredible attitude. In chapter 12, he goes through another experience. First of all, he has that amazing moment where he is lifted up to heaven. Um, we're just chapter 12. What's we'll that start in verse 1. It is not expedient for me to doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years. Whether in the body, I cannot tell, or out of the body, I cannot tell. God, knoweth. Such a one caught up into the third heaven. By the way, the two first heavens are, first heaven is our our atmosphere, that is the blanket around our planet. The second heaven is the universe. And the third heaven is where God is all the time. Right now, if we had the heavens open, if we were privileged enough, it's all happening right now. A few times in the Bible that did happen. This is one of them where he actually had a glimpse of what's there. And then he says, uh, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body. He said, I couldn't really say how it all happened. I cannot tell God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. So he had these amazing experiences. He he suffered dreadfully, but he also had amazing blessings. And, um, but he had something else happen. We're not too sure what it is. We can have a guess if we like, but we're not too sure what it was. And in verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me you maybe relate to that now and again to some things in your life and he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly therefore I rather glory in my infirmities or my weaknesses or my trials and tribulations that the power of christ might rest upon me when we make divine healing the whole story then of course everybody's going to get healed every time Everybody's going to get healed every time. Otherwise, God's not doing it right. Have you ever stopped to think what it would be like if that happened? We would have a queue from here to the Botanic Gardens because I know that one prayer, they always get healed. But would they follow the Lord is the question I'd like to answer. You know, how many people came to Jesus and great miracles happened? We think of the, the 10 lepers and only one of them ever came back. We think on the day of Pentecost, 120 that was always left. Maybe we don't always work it out that... Maybe God has got that worked out. He wants people to come. Divine healing is, a, as I said, a great and wonderful part of our fellowship, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Number one is repent, be baptised, and fill with the Holy Spirit and walk on with all. That's number one. If other things happen, good. If they don't, they don't. It doesn't matter. You've got the Lord. That's number one. Never, ever lose sight of, of that particular point. Uh, Acts chapter 12, we won't turn to it. It's a story of two apostles One was killed and the other was delivered. And I dare say that can be the way it is. The first couple of verses of of Acts chapter 12, we have one of the 12 apostles, James, the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee. He's killed by the sword. You might think, well, how come God didn't deliver James? He was one of the 12 apostles. He wasn't even a 12 apostle for all that long. You know, and yet God let him be killed by by herod with a sword in the same chapter a couple of verses later peter's thrown into prison with the same thought let's kill him as well and god delivers him well that's how it can be sometime it's not always exactly how we work it out but that's god allows now and again we might have 20 deliverances number 21 it's time for you to go we don't know god's that's in god's hands by the way not in ours it's better to just be faithful to the end you know, the Apostle Paul, we just read, went through all those amazing experiences, but he was faithful to the end. Second Timothy chapter 4, he goes through it all. I've kept the faith. And when you think of that, but you were beaten and you were stoned and you kept the faith. A lot of people said nasty things about you. They even dared to say you were not a good preacher. You can read that in the book too. where they said he was not a good preacher. I know the feeling. Let's have a look in... Um, in um, Philippians chapter 2, I'm pretty well run out of time, but just quickly on this guy called Epaphroditus. Sounds like a disease, doesn't it? But it's not. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, just there in verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, a companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants... For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he'd been sick. For indeed he was sick near unto death, but God had mercy on him and on, on, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And it goes on about more things. I just so i get a couple of points out of this. First of all, you might say, well, how did he get sick? He's, he was a believer. He baptized and filled with he shouldn't get sick. Sometimes we have that mentality as well. But then we see when the way Paul put it that he got delivered, it wasn't like it was a fait accompli. Of course he got healed. No, he felt like it was a wonderful gift from God that he got healed. It was a wonderful extra blessing. And not just for Epaphroditus, Paul said, but for me also. That God helped me on this situation. So um, we'll just finish with two more verses. Isaiah chapter 25. Now I'm going to make a confession Is there a priest? No, Uh, I'm going to make a confession. Isaiah chapter 25. I don't know why I had a little bit of trouble at times understanding a couple of, pretty much, I never worried about it too much, but I remember thinking, you know, we're not supposed to seek after riches. We're not supposed to want wealth or anything like that. And yet the streets of Jerusalem are paved in gold and the gates are pearls and then it finally dawn on me yeah but that's in the next life so but he'll give us all that in the next life we don't have to have it now in this life and the other one i had a little bit of trouble with was why does god need everybody praising him all the time talks about the angels 24 7 around his throne does he need that much praise well he does and i'm going to do something else very naughty now i'm going to put a word in the middle of a, in, in the middle of a bible in a, a bible verse but you'll have to forgive me because i'll take it out again immediately afterwards Mazar 25 verse 1 and the lord O lord thou art my god i will exalt thee i will praise thy name and then i'm going to put in the little word why with a question mark why would i do that and then he answers it for thou hast done wonderful things and thy counsels of old are faithful to truth. That's why he's worthy of it. Nobody else is worthy of that. We you know in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, Jesus, the Lamb of God, he could open the little book, and again they stood and said, he's the only one that can do it, he's worthy. So now I'm, I'm very happy to join the angels as we sing the hymn and stand around the throne. He's far beyond any praise that we can give him. So, brethren, I'll just finish with that... Uh, Basic thought that we don't always fully understand. And God doesn't mind if you go to him with the the statement that I've made, Lord, help me to understand. Because, by the way, the understanding always comes. If only the 70 had done that, they never waited long enough to find out. In our walk in the Lord, for anybody today that is not baptized and spirit-filled, you need to do that for anything that I'm talking about. All the blessings, all the things that God can do in your life, won't happen unless you come to the Lord. By the way, there is only one God. There is only one God. The world is full of gods. But he is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the God of the universe. He is the creator. That's the one you need to turn to. And he sent his son to this earth 2,000 years ago approximately, and he came and he died for your sins. You need to be saved through Jesus Christ. You do that by turning away from your old way of life you do that by getting baptised and burying your old way of life. You do that by rising up out of the water into newness of life and God filling you with the Holy Spirit with the wonderful sign of speaking in tongues. And all the people said, Amen.